Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to Christ Church of Livingston County Teaching Ministry. Christ Church is a member of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches, Tyndale Presbytery. The following audio recording is from a Covenant Renewal Liturgy at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. As we prepare to continue in our service, we confess our sins to the Lord. I'm using the Hebrews 4 text, actually, for my call to confession instead of Acts 1. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Hear God's word. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Thus far the reading of God's word. It's important to know God is ready to forgive us as we prepare to confess our sins to him. God is eager for us to know that he is listening with favor. We ought to come with some fear and trembling, of course, having sinned against our holy God. And yet, he wants to put that away and to receive us and have us receive his love and favor. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. recently, I was quite struck by it. Uh, it was the Roman Catholic Archbishop in San Francisco, Cordeleone is his last name, who wrote an open letter barring the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, from taking communion in church. She's a self-professed, devout Roman Catholic, and her Archbishop uh, wrote to her and said, essentially, no, you're not. <laughs> because of the issue of uh, abortion and her position on that. Whatever your thoughts may be on the legitimacy of uh, a Roman Catholic archbishop uh, or the, uh, the church as a whole, I want to make an argument today that what he was doing is a result of and flows directly from the ascension of Christ to heaven, the, the seating of Christ at the right hand of God. That what he's doing, that archbishop, in his understanding, is extending the reign, the rule of Christ within his church and keeping it pure. So we're going to look today at the reign of Christ, the ascension of Christ, and in Daniel uh, first before those things. Usually on Ascension Day, we look at Acts chapter 1, and that's important uh, to consider that. It connects us to the last 40 days since Easter. And Acts 1 is, is the ascension as seen from earth, as seen from the disciples' perspective. There they sit, looking up into the sky, right, and looking into the clouds. Uh, my contention is that Daniel 7 is the ascension of Christ as seen from heaven, especially verses 13 and 14. And so we'll consider that uh, today. In the first eight verses, you have the power and the pomp of the beasts described. Uh, God rules in history. That's a key theme of Daniel, uh, even amidst the cultural captivity of the church, which the church was in when Daniel wrote. Uh, God still allows beasts to rule, to rise and to rule for a time. 
and we often wonder why, uh, it's for the same reason that he let Adam and Eve sin in the garden. It's something of a mystery to us. Why not prevent blasphemy and the despising of God? But you have this glorious vision in verses 9 and 10 of the Ancient of Days, and then Daniel goes right back to the pompous words being spoken. It's quite the striking uh, parallel, these pompous, evil beasts, and then the glorious, fiery throne of God, and then back to the, the pompous words being spoken, and then the ascension of Christ. It's an interesting back and forth. The Ancient of Days, of course, is the, is the Father, God the Father. The white is for purity. White hair is wisdom. The flaming fire, the many angels, represents his, his power. Uh, the court and the book shows that God will judge. Uh, he can sort out the good from the bad perfectly. Uh, and this description, interestingly, is very similar to Revelation chapter 1, when John has a vision of Jesus. It's almost the same vision. He's obviously drawing directly from this. And I think what John was trying to say there is, like father, like son. The, the, the son of God uh, is uh, fully divine, in, uh, one and the same substance, as we say in the Nicene Creed, with the father. The description is the same, interestingly. Well, the majesty of the ancient of days. Then in verse 11 and 12, you have the defeat of the beasts, right? And throughout Daniel, you have this uh, picture. Uh, just a quick summary of Daniel a minute. It's all about man and beast and who's going to rule, which one, right? At the beginning of creation, God tells Adam and Eve to rule the beasts. But now you have these beasts, the representatives of kingdoms. Uh, in Daniel 4, the king himself becomes a beast. In Daniel 6, the beasts almost destroy Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, in, here in Daniel 7, you have four beasts that are four kingdoms. And the way I understand this is that it's uh, beginning in Daniel's day and moving forward to the time of Rome. Uh, the, the fourth beast, of, the one of iron, is typically seen as the Roman Empire. And during the Roman Empire is when Jesus comes. And that's uh, a typical way to look at that. It's, it's the same as in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the idols there and the four uh, parts of the idol. Now, the Son of Man, in verse 13, is contrasted with all of these beasts, right? Man was made to rule the beasts in the beginning, like I said, and this finally comes true fully in Jesus. Each of the beasts has power for a time, but when Jesus ascends to the Father, it is taken from them, and ultimate dominion is given to the Son of Man. The lives of the beasts are prolonged, notice verse 12, uh, but they've, they've, their dominion has been taken away. So that's kind of the setup for verses 13 and 14, where you have the ascension of the Son, right? The, the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven and, and maintain the heavenly perspective, right? We're in heaven with the Ancient of Days in that throne room. And now the Son of Man is coming on the clouds to, and comes near to the Ancient of Days. They bring him near, end of verse 13. That's the picture here. He, he, um, it's very striking. I, uh, I think I've mentioned once or twice recently, I've been watching The Chosen, uh, a new depiction of uh, Jesus, the life of Jesus with his disciples. One thing that that uh, TV series does is uh, 
emphasize this son of man title and how striking that was for people around that Jesus would be claiming to be the son of man. And that usually just goes right over our heads. We don't, what does that mean? Usually we just think, well, that, that means he's the, the man God chose, something like that, right? It's a, I've mentioned this before, it's a remez, and I haven't kept my streak going of a remez every week. I lost it a few weeks ago. So here I go again with a few remezes today. A remez is Hebrew word for hint. This is when Jesus calls himself the son of man, he's hinting at the Old Testament references to that and, and opening up those passages. And this is a key one, right? Jesus says, he uses it for himself about 80 times in the Gospels. It's the, it's the title he uses most often. And it appears almost nowhere else in the Old Testament except here in Daniel 7, a couple of times in Ezekiel. So when Jesus names himself this over and over so often, this is what he's talking about. This is who Jesus himself sees himself primarily as. The one who comes to the Ancient of Days and is given the dominion that was given to the beasts before. That's not something that we often think of about how Jesus sees himself, but that's what's going on. He's brought near, he's given a kingdom right? The, the dominion was taken away from the beast, verse 12, and a kingdom is given to the Son of Man, verse 14, a kingdom which will not pass away. His kingdom is the one which will not be destroyed. So uh, that's Daniel 7, and I want to uh, look at a few things uh, about ascension and the reign of Christ from there. Uh, one thing, just to stick with that Son of Man first, again, uh, coming with the clouds, uh, Jesus uh, does a remez right in front of the Sanhedrin when he's on trial and Caiaphas is uh, calling him to tell them if he's the Christ. Jesus again points to this passage and he says, you've said it and you will see the Son of Man coming with clouds. And they go crazy. And they say, that's it. And sometimes we wonder like, Okay, I guess he admitted that, yes, I'm, I'm God, so that's why, there's, that's why they're wanting to kill him now. There's more to it than that. They're all thinking of Daniel 7. You're claiming to be the son of man who's going to come and have everlasting dominion given to you? You're claiming to be that one? And not only that, coming with clouds, which is part of what Jesus says to the Sanhedrin, that's all over the Psalms in reference to God himself. We don't have time to go there, but Psalm 18, 68, 97, 104, all of those at least, describe God as the one who comes with clouds. God, that, that's what's it, his chariot is in the clouds, those kind of phrases. When, when, when the presence of God comes, there's a coming with clouds. And so one thing the ascension is, is a proof of divinity, because... That God uh, emphasizes in his word that Jesus comes with clouds and the Son of Man is the one who comes. Uh, a couple other things, this will get a little bit random maybe, but I just wanted to point out various things about the ascension. That as we uh, prayed earlier, the ascension was a visible, a literal, a physical going up. Uh, kids, you have, I think you have a coloring page today about that. It, it's right there in the picture. That's what happened. Right? Jesus went up. He was up there 50 feet or whatever it is. And then a cloud covered him from their sight. And then he uh, uh, was translated, we might say, into heaven. So he visibly went up. Uh, third, this was predicted by Jesus. Jesus said this over and over in the Gospels. Not only that he was going to rise again, 
but that he was going to return to the Father. Right? John 14 is a really good example. I go to the Father. Right? If I go, I will prepare a place for you, and I'll come again. That's what Jesus is saying. Uh, there's, there's scripture uh, all over uh, about this, Jesus uh, predicting this. Uh, next, the, the ascension restored Christ's glory after he uh, served here on earth. In John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, Jesus uh, prays this to the Father. He says, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. That's what Jesus wants as he's thinking about going to the cross. Fascinating, I think, that right before the cross, Jesus is thinking of the ascension. And he's thinking of his return to heaven. So it restores Christ's glory when he goes back. Uh, Next, ascension is accession. There's two words that are almost the same. Uh, Accession is when somebody begins to rule, right? They sit down on the throne for their first day on the job. That's the idea of accession. I always like to think of the United Kingdom and their elections uh, when I think of this. When when a new prime minister is elected, uh, he has wide latitude to form a government, they say, to advance his agenda. He goes and meets with the queen or the king, whoever it is, and dominion is given to him. That's what's going on, right? That's a pale echo of Jesus and what we're thinking about today. For Jesus, the power is not given by the people, and it's not temporary. But other than that, it's the same format, essentially. The, 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 the Son of Man goes to the king, receives the dominion, and now he forms a government, and he, Jesus has been advancing his agenda on earth ever since. The ascension is accession. It, it begins his reign. Uh, Next, we see in the Heidelberg Catechism sometimes, places too, uh, question 49, I think it is, uh, that human nature is taken up, right? Jesus remains human and goes to heaven. Uh, It's a sign of what's coming for us. He's the first fruits of the resurrection, yes, but also of the ascension. That's what's going to happen to us. We're going to go up. We're going to uh, be in, in the throne room of God in his favor, Again, that's John 14. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. So Jesus goes. He's there now. And he will return and bring us there too. So it's, it's all about what's going to happen to us as well as what happened to Jesus. And last on the ascension, it's, it's all about intercession as well. Right? We, we pray uh, in our prayer uh, needs, and they were poignant today. And we're not just passing on our requests, but, but we're asking the Father for what we need. Right? Jesus informs Peter how, how Jesus has prayed for him. Remember that? That passage in the Gospels? Peter probably thought he didn't need such a prayer. I, I can make it. I'll be fine. I can, I can go up against Satan. He can't sift me like wheat. Jesus knew that he needed that prayer, and Jesus prayed for him. Is Jesus at the right hand of the Father right now going to sit idly by, waiting for us to pray something for him to pass on? No. Jesus knows what we need. He's interceding for the Father, even when we don't know how to pray as we ought, as Romans 8 says. 
It's a very comforting uh, thought, uh, truth, that, that Jesus is there. One way that scriptures uh, illustrate that is at the stoning of Stephen. When Stephen is stoned, I think it's Acts 7, uh, Stephen says that he sees uh, the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Uh, And and you see there uh, the Son of Man standing now, not sitting. There's all kinds of speculation what that might be. I think part of it, at least, is that the Son of Man at the right hand of God oftentimes is indignant that the beast is mauling his people. And that's what happened with Stephen. So uh, there's intercession going on there. Oftentimes it seems to us like uh, Jesus would be more available to us if he was on earth. But but he leaves. Jesus says, better that I go away. It's more comforting to have the Holy Spirit with us than to to have Jesus there. So Jesus intercedes for us. So uh, kind of a list there of things about the ascension. And I wanted to do the same with the reign of Christ before we quit today. Because ascension and reign go together. Jesus walks among us. That's the first thing to consider on the reign of Christ. You think of the Revelation letters, right? Jesus walks among the lampstands. He knows his people. Makes me think of Shakespeare's Henry V, the night before that big battle, uh, there's this line about Henry V. He says, The royal captain of this ruined band walked from watch to watch, tent to tent. But forth he goes and visits all his host, bids them good morrow with a modest smile, and calls them brothers, friends, and countrymen. That's a good description of the reign of Christ right there. He has ascended, but he also walks among us as he reigns. He sits to rule, we read in Psalm 110. Uh, Again, God the Father says to David's Lord, that is Jesus, sit at my right hand. That's how we interpret that psalm. Jesus is sitting to rule. The reign of Christ is going to continue until the consummation. That's something to consider, that it's uh, ongoing now, and it doesn't stop just because we read some bad news in the paper. That the reign of Christ continues. 1 Corinthians 15 says he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The reign of Christ continues. In the church, the reign of Christ takes place by word and by discipleship. Uh, the, the, the spirit shapes hearts and minds and cultures. Uh, the reign of Christ is not limited to the church, though. The reign of Christ next is total. The reign of Christ covers everything. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. And what's next? Go therefore and baptize. Notice that what we did today in those baptisms, we did because Christ is reigning. And because in this gathering, we claim Christ as Lord and we want to do what he tells us to do. And so there's all kinds of questions and debates we have about when to baptize and how to baptize. But whenever you see baptisms in the church, you're seeing the reign of Christ at work. It's a glorious thing. The reign of Christ is is total. Back to where where I was. Um, Jesus has gone into heaven. He's at the right hand of God with all angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Ephesians 1 says, 1 Peter 3 mentions it too. 
It, it uh, makes me think of the Kuiper quote that's so famous. There's not one square inch of this universe over which Jesus does not say, mine. The reign of Christ is total. So, uh, Christ rules the state differently than he rules the church, and he may allow the beast to live on in both for a time, but that doesn't mean Christ is not on the throne, ruling over all. His reign is total. He's not frustrated by the presence of any beast. Everything is going according to his plan, and it is good for us. That's a very difficult thing to swallow when you're seeing your friends devoured by lions in the arena, you understand. But those things are both true. It's true. And that's the faith that the early martyrs had. And they were founded in the truth of God's word. Close with a couple things. Uh, Just before the time of Christ, the Roman Caesars began claiming divinity for themselves. And one way they did that, that you'd be interested to know, is that when, when a Caesar died, the new Caesar would send out heralds, messengers, all through the kingdom. And he would have them say this, I was there when Caesar died, and I saw his spirit ascend to the gods. We know for sure that the Caesar is truly a son of the gods, because I saw him ascend. That was common parlance for the Roman Caesars. Isn't that something? The way Jesus uh, shapes uh, the truth of what happens to him, what he says, in contrast to that, that's a whole other sermon to unpack. You know, think of the Roman centurion at the cross. Surely this was the Son of God. When, when for decades the Romans have been saying at the death of the Caesar, that was a Son of God. Wow. Or Jesus in Acts 1 says to the disciples, you shall be my witnesses. He's claiming to be more than a Caesar. In the same format as Caesar, interestingly. But the point there is that the Roman custom was a fake, a knockoff, a copy of the real thing. We are the king's heralds. We're called to announce to the world the reality of the reign of Christ, his rule, his ascension to David's throne at the right hand of the Father. We may be dismayed at how things go culturally or politically, but never forget who is on the throne. He sometimes allows the beast to live and to harm for a time, but his time is short. His power is limited. So I'll close with a a Lord of the Rings illustration. It's been a while since I've done that. It's a lot like the the end of the the trilogy when Frodo is back in the Shire and there's um, Saruman's lackeys are all there bullying and oppressing the Shire. And Frodo scours the Shire, as the last chapter says. And this is what Frodo says. He says, I see that you're behind the times and the news here. Much has happened since you left the south. Your day is over, and all other ruffians. The dark tower has fallen, and there is a king in Gondor. You see that? It's glorious. And Isengard has been destroyed, and your precious master is a beggar in the wilderness. I passed him on the road. 
The king's messengers will ride up the greenway now, not bullies from Isengard. That's the message. That's the result of the ascension of Christ. Because he reigns, because there is a king again in Gondor, all will be set right. The Son of God, the Son of Man, ascends to the Father. He's given all authority and rule, replacing the reign of those beasts. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for the glorious, thrilling news of your ascension. That you are at work in history, in your church, in the nations, uh, extending uh, the river that flows from Ezekiel's temple. Lord, we thank you for all the water poured today, for the cleansing of your son, Jesus, for the, the vast power that you have to cleanse so many. And you use that with such tenderness, such compassion. We pray, Lord, that uh, as we seek to serve you in your kingdom, that you would make us wise, uh, make us understand your ways, so that we can live in response fruitfully as your people. All this we pray in the name of Christ. And we sing. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we, when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We died with Christ, we came alive in Christ, and we descended with Christ and sit with him at God's right hand, Ephesians 2 says. In our minds, yes, but also by the Holy Spirit. This is how we commune with Christ. It's something to keep in mind. The different branches of the church look at this table quite differently. Zwingli uh, basically thought that it was in our thoughts only that we commune with Christ. Uh, Rome says the bread is physically Jesus. Uh, Luther said the human nature of Jesus is somehow everywhere. Uh, we reject all of those. Uh, we follow Calvin who said, by the Spirit, we ascend to heaven spiritually and commune with the body of Christ there. There's a real communion by the Spirit going on in our souls, in our lives. So uh, as a result of that, we remember as we commune uh, that Christ is present and that Jesus uh, lifts us up uh, to the throne room of God, to that place where the, the Son of Man uh, received dominion from the Ancient of Days. So let's come and welcome to the Lord Jesus. Uh, we do invite to the Lord's table all those who are baptized and under the authority of Christ and his body, the church. By eating the bread and drinking the wine with us, you're acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope except in God's sovereign mercy and that you are trusting in Christ alone for salvation. So come and welcome to the Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. 
If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.